if we haven't, uh, if we haven't met, had a chance to meet yet, yeah, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's just a special welcome to you, especially if you're you're new here at Rocky Peak. Maybe you're joining us online. And by the way, if you are joining us online uh, for the first time, you may not know this, but at the either the top or the bottom of the page, depending on the format you're you're watching, uh, there'll be a, a link there. It says message note sheets, and you have three different options. So I'm really encourage you to do that. Um, but uh, before we go into our time of teaching, I uh, just want to thank you for coming out uh, Thursday night. Uh, wow, what an amazing night it was. Um, if you weren't either able to be here because of some prior commitment or because you're being disobedient, either one, <laughs> this place was amazing. Uh, I, I have never seen like what I saw happen here Thursday night. I, like, in all my time here, it was the best. And uh, the spirit of the Lord was here. And man, there was a heart of worship and there was a heart of repentance. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to come, it was, it was packed out. Uh, we couldn't even get everyone in the building. Uh, we had to open up outside and we had a lot of people outside, about heaters out there. And so um, just thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following. Um, it's amazing when the people of God come together, what God can do, amen? So uh, very exciting time. So anyway, we're gonna go into our time of teaching today. And so um, if, you, uh, if you have your Bibles, your note sheets and all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful to be here, Lord. And as I was worshiping today uh, before the service there, uh, I just remembered again that, that passage from this letter that we've studied that has just made such an impact on me, as I mentioned so often, from chapter five, where, where you, the apostle says, hey, when you gather in the name of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Lord is there. then this is what you're to do. And so, Lord, we come today, we're gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. And as we experienced here on Thursday night, Lord, we know the power of the Lord is here. That this is not just a, a meeting. This is a gathering of the people you have chosen before time. The people that you've called in time the people that you've gifted for this time. Yeah. And God, as we come together today to wrap up this series and we look at this, these five final challenges that the Apostle Paul gives to this church, God, we pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying yes, to this church. Amen. We pray this in your name. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, our story starts today in North San Diego County. Um, it's a city of Oceanside. Of course, this is where Lynn and I grew up, that Vista, Oceanside, Carlsbad area. And so we were, we were done with college. We moved back in the areas I shared a couple weeks ago. And on this particular day, I was driving up one of the main arteries through Oceanside. If you're familiar with that area, it's called El Camino Real. I was going northbound. I was heading toward Fire Mountain Road. And the reason that's important is because that's, that's, the, that's the moment I remember. I remember coming to that intersection. I'll never forget it. And the reason was not because I had an accident. You thought that was going to happen to me. <laughs> not because I did something on my motorcycle and got hurt. You thought that was coming. No, I was, just, I was listening to an interview on the radio. And they're interviewing uh, a young man, an adult man, who was the son of one of the most famous Christian leaders of the 20th century a man who had deeply impacted my life and had recently passed away. And they were interviewing this son, his only son, and they were talking about his final conversation with his father. This man was such an intellectual giant, a deeply spiritual man, and he, he was asking the son, the interviewer asked the son, so what did your father say to you this last time that you were together, knowing that he was going to die? Oh, man, I, I was leaning in. I was all in. This man had such an impact on my life. It's like, I wanted to hear. This guy's an intellectual giant. He's a spiritually, deeply spiritual man. Like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say to his only son in their last conversation? And while I leaned in, I listened, and what he said surprised me. It was so simple, but it was so deeply profound that I'll never forget it. It hit me so hard that I remember exactly where I was in the car on that day. 
Well, today, <laughs> we're continuing this series. Ah, uh, yeah, Saturday night. I had to have some fun with you, right? It's like tomorrow morning, I don't even know. If you're like, give them an IV, you know, but anyway. No. Actually, 9 o'clock has really been waking up. That's like, they're really coming along. I've got great hopes for them. So, uh, hey, so uh, today we're continuing this series that we've been in uh, since uh, like a year ago. It's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who brought new, and I know every week God's bringing new people and you're joining us online. For those of you who are new, uh, this is actually a, kind of an in-depth study of one of the most important letters in the New Testament and the second part of our Bible uh, for our time. And uh, is written by one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, they call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to this group of Christ followers that have that he and his team actually led to Jesus three years before. They live in a very important Roman strategic city in the southern tip of Greece called Corinth, and so we call this letter 1 Corinthians. And believe it or not, this is the final message in this series, that this is message number 40. And uh, we, we started this series uh, a, a, last, well, a year ago last week is when we started this series. And today we're coming to the final chapter, the final passage where, where Paul is wrapping this up. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, just go ahead and open up to chapter 16. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week at verse 5. And so uh, before we jump in, let me, let me set it up. So... If you've read many of Paul's letters, you know, there's 13 of them in our New Testament. Uh, almost half the, the book's energy is from the Apostle Paul. And so uh, there's that often at the end of his letters, not always, but often uh, he, will, he will sign off as, remember, there really are a letter in a sense. They're often more, they're more like an essay, but they're in a letter form. And so often at the end, he will send personal greetings to people that he knows where he's writing. Uh, sometimes he'll talk about upcoming travel plans. Maybe he's coming to visit them. Sometimes he'll send greetings from people wherever he is, whatever church he's in, to that. So, and that sometimes he'll, he'll give some final challenges. And these final challenges are never random, though if you're not paying attention, they might seem random. But they're actually a way of him kind of summarizing the message of the entire level and speaking to the situation he's been addressing in the church. And that's the case today. And so we pick it up at verse five. And so he says, after I go through Macedonia, so we were gonna do some map work today, but if you just don't have enough time, but, if you, but, but here's, a, here's a simple version. If you can kind of picture the Aegean Sea, and you've got Greece on one side and across the Aegean Sea, you've got Turkey on the other side. And so, so Paul is writing, remember, from this major metropolitan city. It's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was the city of Ephesus. Right across the Aegean Sea, pretty much straight across, was the city of Corinth. And so you could, you could sail across, but... He doesn't want to sail across because he wants to go north from Ephesus and go up, if you kind of picture, up and over into Greece, kind of cross from Asia into Greece, so he can visit some of the churches that he started before, like the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica. So he's going to go up and around the Aegean Sea and come down, then it'd be like the eastern side of Greece, and then uh, he'll come to... So that's kind of, he's letting them know his travel plans. So he says, As, uh, after I go through Macedonia, that'd be like northern Greece, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. In other words, not sailing across the Aegean Sea. And he said, perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter. So in the uh, in ancient world, uh, about October, early October, you stop sailing. It's way too dangerous. And so he says, hey, the plan is I'm going to come. Uh, I'm going to stay the summer. Uh, and maybe I end up staying you know, there for the winter. He's not really sure exactly where he's going to go next. And he says, so you can help me on my journey wherever I go. He said, for I, I do not want to see you now only in a passing visit. So when he comes, remember, this is a messed up church. He wants to stay for a while. And so he says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at where? So he's in Ephesus, remember, on the western uh, coast of, of Turkey. It's a seaport there, or right near the seaport. And he said, I'm going to stay till Pentecost. So that'd be like May, in, in May sometime. And he said, because a, a great door for effective work has opened to me. So we know from the book of Acts that God's really moving in amazing ways in Ephesus. And so he says, I want to stay here a little bit longer. 
Um, he said, but it's also there are many who oppose me. It's getting dangerous. And sure enough, he will almost lose his life there after he writes this letter. Now he says, and well, when Timothy comes, so remember Timothy was his young, kind of a younger pastor that had traveled with him. It was Paul, Timothy, and Silas that had first gotten to Corinth and shared the message of Jesus. So they all know Timothy. And back in chapter four, you may remember this, Paul had said, hey, I can't come right now, but I'm gonna send Timothy as my personal representative. Uh, so when he gets here, he, he can help you kind of remember Remember what it looks like to follow Jesus. But he has some real concerns because uh, Paul, uh, Timothy is coming as his personal representative. We know this from the letter that there are many beginning to rise up in Corinth, question Paul's authority, question whether he's an apostle. So he's a little concerned about how they're going to receive Timothy since he's representing Paul. So he says in verse 10, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. Right? It's like, that's like saying to, uh, hey, we're sending one of our pastors over to Shepherd. Uh, just make sure he doesn't get killed over there. All right, so you're kind of like, wow, something's going on here, right? There's something, nothing to fear. That's what you, know, you normally say when a visiting pastor is coming. He said, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. So no one then should treat him with what? Contempt. You sense the tension, right? There's tension. And he says, so send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. So we don't know if Timothy has already left Paul and on his way to there or he's, he's about to go. But he says, either way, uh, he's going to come. He's going to spend some time, treat him well. And then he'll, he'll travel back with some of the brothers and kind of report to me on what's happening. And he says, uh, uh, now he's going to talk about Apollos. Now, you may remember back in the early chapters, chapters one through four, we were introduced to this, this great leader of the early church, a very gifted teacher named Apollos. And you may remember in those opening chapters, the first issue was, remember how the church was splitting up over their favorite teachers? Some liked Apollos more, some liked Peter, some liked Paul. And, and Paul wants to be super clear as he wraps up this letter that he and Apollos are in great terms. There's no issue between him and Apollos. There may be an issue there in Corinth between the two, but not between them. And so he says, now when our brother uh, Apollos, uh, now about, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with you with the brothers. So he's now with Paul in Ephesus. But he was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he feels like it, <laughs> when he has the opportunity. <laughs> I told you, you should go. It's like, no, Paul, I'm not ready. All right. Now we come to verse 13 and 14. And in, this, in these two verses, Paul is going to give five final challenges. They're like staccato challenges. We're going to come back today to these and talk, but, but follow along. He says, be on your guard. Uh, in the Greek, what it literally says is to be kind of be watchful. It's like a military term, like be watchful, stay awake, stay alert. You know, like a, a military sentry that's kind of, you know, you're at, you're at a war and you're like a sentry, like so stay alert. The second, the second command is stand firm in the faith. Again, another military term, like in the midst of a battle and the enemy's rushing, don't give ground. You know, and we'll talk more about that later. Third is be courageous in the Greek. Interesting, what it really says is like act like men. Right? It's like, like, be a man, like kind of man up. And then he says, uh, uh, number four, be strong, which in the Greek means be strong. And then <laughs> number five, he says, and he wraps it up, and he says, do everything in what? Love. Love, and we'll come back to that. So these are five key challenges that he gives that, that really aren't as random as they seem. They really kind of summarize uh, what, the, the, what their letter has said. He says, now, you know that the household of Stephanus, so uh, when Paul had first gone into Corinth, you know, Corinth is the capital of the province of Achaia. Right? So when Paul first went to Corinth, he shared the message of Jesus. Like the first believers that came to Christ was this man named Stephanus and his household. Well, what's interesting is Stephanus is now in Ephesus. He's, he's just come from Corinth with some of his buddies or maybe from his household. And it's very likely that they're the ones who brought the letter that is asking all the questions that Paul has been answering since chapter seven. Well, now about marriage, now about idols, vital food, now about spiritual gifts. And so it's very likely that, that this is how this letter got to them. So he says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. So it sounds like they've risen to a place of leadership in the church at Corinth. Now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit or to such people, right, as your leaders, and to everyone who joins the work and labors at it. So these, remember, in the church, there are leaders rising up that are taking the church away. 
There are leaders rising up that are doing a good job. And Paul's kind of pointing out, follow this kind of a leader. He said, I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus arrived, these three guys, they may all be from his household, we don't know, because they've supplied what was lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit and, uh, and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. So he's putting a spotlight. These are the kind of leaders in your church you should be listening to, right? So he says, now, the church is in the province of Asia. So remember, Paul is in Ephesus, that's the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. And so he says, uh, so the churches in the province of Asia, they send you greetings. And he says, Aquila and Priscilla. So we met them in the very first week or so, very first week of this series. We know from the book of Acts that when Paul first arrived in, uh, in Corinth, he was by himself. Uh, Timothy and Silas were coming later. And he met this, this, this couple, sort of a power couple. They're Jewish. They had been kicked out of Rome. Uh, they had settled in uh, Corinth. They had a, a business making tents, you know, like the big kind of Arabian night tents, not like Coleman's. And, uh, and so that was Paul's background. For those of you who've been to Israel, think like Bedouin tents, like we're in the Bedouin tents there. So that, that, was, that was Paul's uh, uh, skill too. That was his trade. And so he kind of started living with them and working with them. And so, but they were very gifted teachers. They, they were kind of a power, like a, a couple that led, led church together. And so um, they have now moved from Corinth to Ephesus. And so he says... Um, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. Of course, they all knew them. And so does the church that meets at their what? Okay, now you want to keep saying this, right? Keep saying this again in case we ever have another pandemic. All right? All right. In the early church, no one had buildings like this, right? No one had buildings. The church met in homes, usually 30 to 50, right? So that's why when we went through this, they said like, hey, it's fine to meet if you want to meet, but a church doesn't have to meet all together and make building and be a church. Like the early church went without two or 300 years, right? So anyway, so they're, they're now hosting a church in their home. And he said, so all the brothers and sisters here send you greeting and greet one another with a holy kiss. Sort of that, you know, that kind of Middle Eastern or European thing, you know, the kind of kiss on one cheek, kiss on the other kind of thing. And he says, so, uh, so I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. So normally, when Paul would write a letter, he dictates his letter. This is how you do it in ancient times, um, often. And you, there was actually a, a person who would, who would take the letter down. They were called an amanuensis. And so, um, so, so Paul would often dictate, but at the end, he would often sign it in his own signature, which was like his signature, like, this is really a letter for me. Like this is how you, and that was very common practice in ancient times. And so he says, now, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, and my guess here he's talking about these kind of false teachers are starting to rise up and pull people away from Jesus. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. And then he says, come Lord. And this is interesting. Uh, if you were uh, uh, alive during the Jesus movement, or if you've seen the movie, right, yeah. Jesus Revolution, you know, one of the things, was a big emphasis on the second coming and a whole, uh, like a whole uh, big uh, music, uh, uh, music industry uh, company came called Maranatha Music. Some of you remember that. Well, Maranatha is, uh, uh, comes from the Aramaic word, you know, that was the language spoken in, uh, in Israel, and it, it went like this, Marantha, Marantha. And so then that got transliterated into Greek because it just became kind of like Abba Father, like Abba is Aramaic, but it just got transliterated into Greek. So this is the same in Greek as Marantha, which is how we would say Maranatha, right? The Lord comes. So Jesus, we want you to come back and we want you to bring uh, all heaven and earth under your leadership. We're waiting for you to come back to, uh, to, to uh, conquer death like we saw in chapter 15. We want our new bodies. We want to be in the new creation that's coming. And so Lord, come. And then he wraps up and he says, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus, amen. And we did it. We did it. We finished. Uh, we finished. All right. Now, hey, what I want to do today in this, uh, this time that we have in this final message is I really want to focus in on these, this final challenge from the Apostle Paul, these five staccato, uh, five staccato challenges he gives in verses 13 and 14. What we're going to see is in many ways sort of summarizes uh, his challenge to the church of 
Corinth. And it's not like random. It's just like he gives this challenge in light of what he's written and in light of the challenges they're facing. Now, what we'll see as we go through is there's a lot of overlap. It's like there's an overlap between these challenges. So I'm going to group some together. Um, but there in your note, you have Christ, culture, and the cross, the five challenges. And so let's look at the first one. So the first one, the first, uh, the first challenge is, I, I put it like this, stay alert and stand firm. Okay. Stay alert and stand firm. So, um, so this comes from the first two commands in verse 13, where you see it there in your new sheets. Um, be on your guard and stand firm in the faith, right? So these are his first two of the five. And, and they kind of, they overlap and they uh, are similar. So I'm putting them both together. And so I'm calling them stay alert and stand firm. So, so let's talk about these two terms first of all. So I already mentioned this, that when, when the NIV, the New International Version, translates this, be on guard, right? Which is not a bad translation. In the Greek, a more literal would be uh, stay watchful, um, be alert, uh, don't go to sleep. Do you remember when in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, stay alert, don't go to sleep? Same word, all right? So, so it's a military type of word in this setting. Um, and it kind of goes well with the next one, which is to uh, stand firm. He says, stand firm in your faith. But these are both in this kind of, kind of feel like they have a military feel to them. Uh, in fact, this second word, stand firm, is the exact same word that Paul uses in a passage that's very clear, kind of military metaphor. And it's a famous one in Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare. So if you look there, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Kind of remember that later for be strong, okay? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, right? Uh, you know, like in ancient times when like two, war, when two, like, two like, armies would face each other, like there's a lot of waiting involved, a lot of waiting. But then comes that day when there's that clash. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, but if you remember in the opening scenes, not later on with Russell Crowe, but later on, the, you see these kind of barbarian armies coming together. And, and it's like these two armies rushing together. And so it's, it's this idea of um, that that's the evil day, right? The evil day. When the battle's on, right? Like, like not every day in our spiritual life is the same, Right? Like Jesus didn't go to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan in that way every day. There are certain days that are critical days. And when the critical day comes, we better not be napping. And the only way you're not asleep when the enemy comes is when you're watching, when you're waiting, when you're alert, just like in battle. Right, so, so if you're, you have your army over, you, you put sentries out, right? And their job is to be watching to make sure your army is not taken by surprise. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, be on guard, stay awake, be alert. And then he says, uh, take your stand. When that day of evil comes and the enemy is rushing at you, you've probably seen this in movies or so. And you, know, you see the, like the, the, the Romans have their big shields and they get down and they're like, they're ready for that hit. Right, they're ready for that hit, and they're going to absorb that first hit. Boom, and then they come out. Right, then they come back, and that's what Paul's saying. So in this passage, he says, "Put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground." Same word. Same word is here is in First Corinthians. Same type of metaphor, and he says, "And after you've done everything, what?" You don't give up ground to the enemy. And so this opening challenge is, hey, Corinthians, you need to wake up and you need to stand your ground. Your culture is coming at you 24-7, Corinthians. Like they're coming at you and you are not alert to it. And you're not taking your stand. This whole letter, I've been telling you how to recognize it and how to take your stand. I want you to think about this as we go back to the very beginning of the series. If you're here, you'll remember this. 
What we learned is when the Apostle Paul first came, this very strategic Roman city, very sophisticated city, very materialistic, you know, entrepreneurial city, new wealth, a lot of new wealth, that when he came and he shared this countercultural um, kind of message of a crucified Messiah, which by definition is an oxymoron, uh, that to Jews was a stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. Are you kidding me? Some crucified Jew in the backwaters of the country is the king of creation, right? And yet, when Paul shared that message, the Holy Spirit moved and he opened eyes to see. As crazy as that sounds, it's a truth. And, and so they came to Jesus, and they received not only the gift of forgiveness, but they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they began to be transformed. And they not only received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they received this wide array of powerful spiritual gifts, supernatural, that we've talked about in this series. And Paul said that that was God's way of confirming the message was true. And then for the first year and a half, they had the apostle Paul and his team as their first pastor. So they got off to this great start. But if you're here at the beginning of the series, you remember that what happened is after Paul left, they began to listen to what I've said time and time again, the vision, the values, and the voices of their culture instead of the vision, the values, and the voice of Christ, and that are best revealed in his cross. And as a result, it's led to chaos and conflict and confusion in their own personal life. They're not being transformed, and it's led to chaos in their church. And, and so we've watched this. We watched us through this whole letter, right? Chapters one through four. We've watched how, because they're, 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 like they're treating their teachers as if they're philosophers of different schools of philosophy, they're separating and dividing over their favorite teachers. We watched in chapter five and six how because of this, they're, they're, they're living in blatant sexual sin and not, even, and not even ashamed of it. And we saw in chapter six, they're, they're taking each other to court, the rich over the poor, in their church, and suing one another. And then in chapter seven, we, they're so confused about marriage and singleness and divorce. In chapters eight through 10, we watched how there are many of them are still going to the idol temples. We watched in chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, all these problems in their church services, especially with spiritual gifts, using them for the wrong reason, for their own ego. And in chapter 15, we saw that there's some, even their church, questioning this core teaching of the gospel about the physical, physical resurrection of our bodies at the end of time. And Paul kind of sums up this whole thing. He says that the problem is you're trying to fit into your culture. It's, you forgot about Christ and his cross. You want to fit in your culture. You want to be seen as wise. You want to be accepted. He said, listen, the message of the cross is foolishness. This is how we start our journey. Like if your goal is to fit in, then don't follow Jesus. Right? Because this whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Right? So, so if you want to go with them, then go. But no, this is crazy. And he sums this up in chapter three, where he says, after three chapters on this issue, he says, do not deceive yourselves. And I want you to catch this. We can be a follower of Jesus and yet be deceiving ourselves. And look what he says. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you might become truly wise. This was at the, the core of their issue was that they were listening and taking their cues on what? On spirituality, on sexuality, on social relationships, on what to believe, their doctrine. They were taking it from their culture instead of from Christ and his cross. And it was leading to chaos and confusion. And so Paul says, hey, hey, you, you got to wake up. You need to stay alert. You need to understand this culture is coming at you all the time. 
and you need to be aware of what's happening, and then you need to take your stand and not let the culture push you around. Yeah, you're not part of this world any longer. You're a Jesus follower. Like, who cares what they think? Right? This is like, we're following a different king. Right? And we're following a different king. And so he starts with these two challenges to be on guard, stand your ground. Number two, I'm going to combine number three and four challenge, kind of go together as well. We're going to combine them. And he says, um, be courageous and be strong. So be courageous and be strong. You see it there on your note sheet. Verses, the next two are be courageous and be strong. So we talked about this. That literally in the Greek, it says, be men. It's like, in our culture, it's like, hey, man up, right? And, and this is exactly what they needed to do. If they're going to stand against their culture, if they're going to stand for Christ, they, they need to man up. It's going to take some courage. And so he says, you need to, to be courageous. You need to be strong. It reminds me of what God said to Joshua. Before, remember when Joshua uh, was ready to lead Israel into the promised land, and this is the one thing that the nation never accomplished under Moses. They were just too afraid to cross the Jordan and go in the promised land. It's like, there's giants over there. There's, there's enemy over there. There's conqueror. And so that's, that's you know, you, Moses dies, and this is your first assignment, to take this rebellious group of people into the promised land. And so Joshua is feeling intimidated by that. And there in your note sheet, the second verse down in Joshua 1, this is what God said to him. Notice this language, have I not commanded you? God says, hey, I'm with you. This is not your idea, it's my idea. And he says, he says be strong and what? Sa same thing, same language, be strong and courageous. He says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, and here's why, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. And so this is the thing. As followers of Jesus, what, what Paul is telling Corinthians is that, hey, if you're going to stay alert, if you're going to stand your ground, it's going to take some courage. Right? And this is always true for followers of Jesus. In fact, in the last night that Jesus was with his men before he was arrested, this is what he said in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. He's like, you're in good company. It just shows you're on the right team. He said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been chosen before time. You've been called in time. You've been gifted for this time. Like, you don't belong to this world. When you're in the world, you don't belong to this world. You belong to another world. We're citizens of another kingdom. And he said, um, he says, that's, what, that's why the world hates you. He says, like, don't be surprised. And so the Corinthians, if they're going to follow Jesus, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's interesting. I mentioned this early in this series, but... You may have forgotten it, but this is the one, one of the few letters in the New Testament. There's very little about persecution. You move up the, you move up the uh, coast to Thessalonica, where Paul had gone right before Corinth. You read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, like there's major persecution going on. They're suffering for Jesus, right? Paul's in Ephesus. He's going to almost be killed there for Jesus, you read Philippians, they're suffering for, in Philippi, they're suffering for Jesus. But in Corinth, they're not suffering. Why? Because they're just fitting in. They're just fitting in. And if they're going to follow Jesus, they're going to have to have some courage. Right? They're going to have to say, no, hey, as followers of Jesus, we have a different sexual ethic. They say, as followers of Jesus... We don't go to idol temples. Yeah, I know it's the center of culture. I know it's where business deals are done. I know it's the restaurants of our world. I know it's where birthday parties are celebrated. We don't, go to a, we don't go to a pagan temple with pagan ceremonies going on at every meal. We don't do that. Paul says, who, who do you think you're stronger than God? Do you remember what God did with Israel with uh, idolatry? Like, what's wrong with you? You're, you're going to have to have some courage. Hey, you live in a culture, you live in a culture, they don't believe in the afterlife, they believe that there's the immortality of the soul, but not the body. Hey, this is, this is the truth. 
We're going to all get new bodies. It's going to take some courage, right? So, so here's what I understand that, that Paul says, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, it takes some courage, right? You're going to have to be strong. And I think of this message that if we're going to follow Jesus in our time, it's going to take some courage, Amen. right? We're going to have to rise up. It's, we've had it easy. Yes. We've had it easy for a long time, but it's going to require some, our issues may be different, though often similar, as followers of Jesus, we have a different sexual ethic, right? As followers of Jesus, we believe that God has created male and female, right? That's what we believe. It's what the Bible says. We don't believe you can choose whatever you want to be. No, no, you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. We don't, no, no, no. This world thinks we just got here by evolution. It's all an accident so you can make up your own story. We don't believe that. We believe in a creator who's created us and created us male and female. Right? And so, hey, you may be struggling with that issue and a gender issue. And as followers, of, we have compassion for that. And it's a hard thing. We want to come alongside and help you figure that out. But the solution isn't to deny the created order. Right? Amen. Hey, we have issues. Yeah, but ours is, are we going to go to a pagan temple? Our issue is, hey, are we going to go to a same-sex wedding? Are we going to go to a same-sex wedding and celebrate sexual immorality that's being pledged for the rest of life? Right? Are we going to go to the reception and hold up our glasses and we're, we're going to toast the well-being of this sexually immoral union that will never be a marriage in God's eyes? Or, see, they, they have their issues that are going to alienate them. And we go, oh man, I'm just, I'm not, we don't go to pagan temples, but we have ours. We have ours. And men and women... It's going to take courage. And in the coming days, we're going to have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because the price is going up. And so we can either choose to compromise and be like Corinth or we can choose to listen and follow and be transformed and become the light of the world. And if we compromise we might as well not be here because we have no longer, we've given up our birthright to be like stars in a dark universe, shining the way of life. Number three, finally, Paul wraps up his, he wraps up his final, his fifth final challenge is one we've seen a lot in this series, is to do everything in love. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, that this is the ethic of Jesus. Jesus said the most important thing is we love God and we love people as, as, as Jesus and the word defines love, right? We live in a culture that's all confused on this. Love is love. No, it isn't. Uh, love is what God says it is. Jesus says, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is, the love, this is love for God that we keep his commandments, Right? So, so the creator defines what is right and wrong. And love never rejoices in evil. Right? That's what we learn in 1 Corinthians 13, that love rejoices in the truth. Right? So, so it's never love to accept something and approve of something that is ultimately destructive for someone else. And so, so Jesus said that. But what we've seen is that this, this topic of love has been very central to this whole, uh, this whole letter. We saw it early on. Remember, the Corinthians saw themselves as very spiritual and very mature because of all these very powerful supernatural gifts, supernatural experiences, and this new spiritual knowledge that they received through Christ. And so we learned in chapter three, though, that actually they weren't spiritually mature. They're actually spiritually immature. And the reason Paul could tell is because the way you're doing your relationships. See, the mark of a truly spiritually mature person is that their character is being transformed to be like Jesus. And they're living a life of love, which means we're living in such a way to seek others' highest good. And so Paul said early on, he said in, verse, uh, there in chapter three, he said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Remember that word, panomatikos, very early on, uh, spiritual people, 
but as people who are still worldly. You're still like your culture around you. You're mere infants in Christ. In fact, you're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling amongst you. You're not doing relationships in the new way, the Jesus way. Are you not worldly? You're acting like mere humans. For when one says, I follow Paul, another Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And so we've seen this from early on. One of the earliest lessons we learned is that that as followers of Jesus, the, the mark of true maturity is not amazing spiritual gifts. It's not all this great spiritual knowledge. It's not uh, kind of powerful spiritual experiences, as, as good as all those are. They're good gifts of God. But the ultimate mark of true mat- maturity is that we live a life of love, right? And so we see that surfacing again and again, like in chapter eight. Remember, they were arguing over whether it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Paul, uh, Paul said, you shouldn't be going to pagan temples and participating. Hey, but if you go to the but- local butcher, you don't have to ask about the meat. Like, it's fine. It doesn't have cooties or anything like that. You know, so it's just like, it's fine. And so he says, hey, but not everyone understands this freedom we have in Christ. And so don't make this an issue. And he said, what, what love does is love gives up its rights in order to preserve unity. And he said there in chapter eight, he says, now about food sacrifice to idols. So this is, he's starting to talk these three chapters on this issue. And he says, we know that we, quote, we all possess knowledge. Yeah, that's what you say. He said, but knowledge puffs up while love, what? Builds up, right? So that he says, yeah, that's a great thing while knowledge, but he said, I want to know about love. Knowledge tends to give you a big head. Love builds up the body of Christ. We saw it again. We got to chapter 12 through 14. Remember, they're using all their spiritual gifts, but to like to, to build up their own ego, not, not to really serve one another. And so Paul said in chapter 13, he said, if, we, if I speak in the tongues, he's talking about these amazing spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I have to possess to the poor, I give my body, and I give my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Right? So, so over and over again, he says, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The, the sign of true spirituality, the, of true maturity, the true transformation is that we're transformed to love God and to love others as he has loved us, laying down our rights for the sake of others. And so this leads then to these five challenges lead to one final question as we wrap up this series. Let me give you the question and then let's talk about it. So the question is, will you, as we move in the future, will you listen and follow Christ and his cross or the culture? I think this is, this is, where, this is where it begins. This is, this is where the bottom line for us Men and women, I've said this many times. Early on in this series, the very first week, I told you I'm so excited about this series. I mean, in the video I made before we even started, I told you I'm so excited because I really believe this is one of the most important letters in the New Testament for our time. You've heard me say that almost every week I've been up here. And the reason is, is I think that the situation that this church in Corinth is facing is very similar to the situation the church in America is facing. Amen. Early on, I told you one of my favorite uh, scholars, Gordon Fee, uh, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said Corinth was a mixture of New York meets San Francisco meets Las Vegas. <laughs> Great. Right. It, it was a place of new wealth, very entrepreneurial. It was a place of cultural sophistication. It was a place of being a very multicultural place where people from all over the empire were coming, very pluralistic in terms of its religion, spiritually very diverse, sexually highly promiscuous, extremely materialistic. It sounds a lot like Southern California. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Welcome to Corinth. And what we have seen in this series is that time and time again, their choices are being more shaped by their culture than by Christ. And as a result, they're not being transformed. They're not living the life Jesus came to give. They're not being a witness to their community. It's leading to chaos and conflict and confusion. And so when we come to these five final challenges we just read, we need to read them in light of the whole letter. They're not five just random challenges. They're five, they're, they're the Apostle Paul's final words to this church at this point in time. And we started the day with a story of my, my story. I was late 20s, 28, 29, something like that. And uh, we were living in Vista, and on this particular day, I was driving up El Camino Real to visit one of my close friends who lived up there in the Fire Mountain area. And uh, I was listening to this, this uh, interview, you know, with Frankie Schaefer. So some of you remember Frankie Schaefer. Um, his father was Francis Schaefer, one of the greatest intellectual, evangelical intellectuals, greatest thinkers of the 20th century, second half of the 20th century. And I tell you something, I, I was recently reading a book on worldview and culture, and they were quoting something that Francis Schaeffer wrote in 1980, a long quote. And can I tell you something? It's like he saw it coming. We used to say, Lynn and I used to say, he's like a prophet for our times. And can I tell you, you read it now, and you say, everything he said was coming, was coming. That when you, when you see the worldviews, like we talked about, that are shaping our culture, you can see the trajectory. And he saw it coming. And Francis Schaeffer was not only a brilliant intellectual philosopher, but he was also a man with a deep walk with God. And as a younger believer, it had a big impact on my life. And so on that day, when I heard Frankie being interviewed on this radio station about his last, his father's last words to him, I'm telling you, I'm leaning in. Oh man, what I would give to be a fly on the wall in that room and here with this incredibly gifted, wise, Jesus-loving man, like what he would say to his son. And I'll never forget it because it was, it was not what I expected. It was not some big intellectual treatise. It was very similar to Paul's final words here. Several just short, staccato statements about what matters most in life. I don't remember everyone exactly, but it went something like this. Frankie, you're a Christian. Guard your integrity and never let it go. Son, you're married. Be faithful to your wife. You're in ministry. Guard your heart from the love of money. Hold on to the word and never let it go. And as I listened, it was not what I expected. But it struck me as so incredibly profound. Because as followers of Jesus, we never outgrow the basics. And that's what Paul is giving us in his final challenge. He said, you're followers of Jesus. Stay alert. Stay alert. Be on guard like a sentry on duty. You're followers of Jesus. When the battle comes and the battle will come, don't give way. Stand your ground. Don't let the culture push you around. Hey, have courage, be courageous, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mighty, mighty power. And whatever you do, remember that love is the key. Do everything you do in love.
And even when they come for you, keep on loving up. And even when they nail you to a cross, you forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is the way of the believer. This is the way of a follower of Jesus. We don't let the culture dictate to us. We dictate the culture because we follow a king. So here's my question. Will we stand? Some of you are going to lose your jobs over this. Some of you are going to lose your jobs over gender ideology. Some of you are going to lose your jobs because you don't affirm diversity, inclusion, equity. Not what those words used to mean, but what they mean now. There will be decisions that we have to make. There will be consequences to our decisions. The question is, when the enemy's charging, do we stand our ground? Amen? Amen. That's what this series is about. That's why we went through it. That's why we've taken the time, because the price, the cost of following Jesus is, coming, is rising, and I want you to be prepared. That when it comes to you, it comes to you in a family member, it comes to you in a neighbor, it comes to you in your job, you are not taken by surprise. That you're alert, you saw this coming, and like Daniel of old, you go before your father and you ask him what to do. And if they throw you to the lions, it's to the lions we go. And if it's in the fiery furnace, it's the fiery furnace we go. Like Martin Luther of old, we say, here I stand. God, help me. I can do no other. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, these are, uh, these are heavy words, um, but they are powerful. What a challenge. Be on guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. That kind of sums it up. And so, Lord, we pray that, as the song says, you would be our firm foundation and that we would, we would not give in because you will never let us down. You'll meet us in that fire when the time comes. You'll give us the words to say, the courage we need. We're not strong in ourselves. We're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.